So one of the things that's been on my mind, which it might be on yours as well, is the recession. And, you know, is it coming? Which it absolutely is. What should we do? How to prepare? Um, A lot of you might be in a position where you're maybe worried about getting laid off potentially. And uh, we're going to get into all of that today. And if you're listening to the podcast for the first time, my name is Jason Bay. I host the Blissful Prospecting Podcast. And what I like to do is have conversations with top reps, sales leaders, and other experts to teach you how to turn complete strangers into paying customers. So today we're going to talk about recession proofing and how to grow during a decline. We have uh, Moeed Amin back, director and founder at Proverbial Door. Let's just get to it, dude. You, uh, We did a really fun episode the first time around, and then five minutes were left. We're like, dude, we, we didn't talk about the recession, right? Which is something that you've been talking about a lot. If you could rewind and you know, kind of take us back, because in the financial crisis, 2008, 2009, that was my very first sales job. And that was in college. I was going door-to-door selling house painting services. And I think I was so naive to even think about it that and we just did well and the company grew and I didn't even really think about it. And I wasn't really scared of it because I didn't have any experience with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, you sold through that period too. And let's just start with that. What was that like for you? Do you remember how you were feeling, you know, at that time or anything like that, that you can bring us back to? Yeah. Um, it actually started before that because in 2006, I'd started really my first professional sales role i had been doing sales before that for a few years but and i i had to it wasn't going well right um so i I had to resign before i was going to get fired even though i helped them close a million pound deal which i think in dollars is 1.5 million or so anyway it wasn't going well so but then i was headhunted by another company and it was in the first year and a half or whatever it was in that time that's when recession hit so how was how was i feeling yeah, pretty bad, <laughs> pretty bad. I thought, you know, it, you know, I was questioning life's choices. People were freaking out around me. I mean, like it, some of it was very disproportionate, but I think mm-hmm. that the media had basically fueled that for some people. Whereas at, at, the, at, at the same time, our business leader was actually just trying to help us kind of think about it in the right way. Um, and he was sharing with us articles, et cetera, that was giving a different perspective about um the recession but we really felt it in the business and and we really felt it from the buyer side so you know but all of a sudden buyers weren't answering calls um you know deals that we had in the pipeline that seemed to be a sure thing suddenly turned out not to be and they were either delayed or it was just a flat no um yeah all the things that you can probably think of that could go wrong in sales they, they were going wrong at that time um but interestingly it only lasted a few months actually but we can come on to that later on. But yeah, that, that's what that's what I was going through. And I was really questioning questioning my life choices. And I thought, man, you know, I just I just left this other company. I was just getting into my groove and then this happens. And um, yeah, it made things very tough for a while. Yeah, it's it's weird because the we're gonna get into the mindset part of this, but the fear part. Cause when you start to I'm totally blanking on the on the term, but when you when you look for stuff to validate your opinions on something, what's that called? Oh, something. um, 
um, <laughs> I have a double brain something, something biased. Something biased. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I've totally. You know, well, now that you said you're blanking, I'm blanking now. But yeah, it's it's, it's basically it's basically um, not information bias. Is it cognitive bias? It's cognitive bias. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like you you feel these things right? This fear. And then you hear a thing from a prospect or a customer or two. And then when you look on the internet, there's no shortage of stuff right now about the recession and you know, all that kind of stuff. And it just screws with your head, you know, big time. How much of, of this is just helping people kind of deal with their own fear as a sales professional and helping you know, clients kind of navigate through, you know, fear that they have as well? Yeah, and, and let's start with the science, which I always like to start with, right? Mm-hmm. So what you just explained, there's a portion of the brain called the thalamus. It is the filtration port of part of the brain, um, it, it, you know, through, um, you know, acetylcholine as well, which is a neuromodulator, it acts as a spotlight. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when you, when you decide on something in your own world, your brain basically filters everything out and allows that stimulus and that confirmation of what you just believe to come through. So it's very easy for you to go down that rabbit hole. Um, the first thing that you've got to do is recognize that the fear is not going to serve you. So it's almost like a pattern interrupt. You've talked about this in, in your reply yeah. method, et cetera, right? You know, it, it, it's important. You've got to create your own pattern interrupt. And one of the quickest ways to create that pattern interrupt is to downregulate the emotional centers of your brain and upregulate the prefrontal cortex, right? So one of the quick things that you can do is, it sounds really ludicrous, but one of the quick things you can do is just count to 10. Because yeah. you're, basically, you're basically forcing the logical part of your brain to activate more, right? Or to work more and moving away from the emotional. So that's one, of, that's one of the first things that you've got to do. You've got to recognize that you're in that state, recognize that it doesn't serve you, and then start to ask yourself better questions, right? Questions like, um, you know, have I really lost my job right now? The answer is no, right? Hopefully, right? But the answer is no. Um, do recessions last forever? No, they don't. Um, does, can I, and have there been examples of businesses and people who have emerged from recessions stronger? Yes, absolutely. One of the other techniques I tell people and tell my coaches to do is whenever they go through a bad situation, no matter how bad, um, one of the most powerful things you can do is ask yourself, what are the seven what are the seven ways in which this experience is actually of benefit for me? And the yeah. reason why I say seven is because the first three might be a relatively easy. The, the, next, the next three will be pretty hard. The last three were really hard. But actually those last three, if you go up to nine, those last three tend to be the most valuable. So, you know, you've got to ask yourself better questions. You've got to pattern interrupt and recognize it's not going to serve you. Um, and I recognize it's not easy, but, um, you know, you've got to kind of go through that mindset. There's a whole lot more to it, to this, but, but, you know, just for the benefit of our view of our viewers and listeners, you know, just really kind of try to move away from that fear element and ask us, recognize where you are 
recognize it doesn't serve you and ask yourself better questions and list out all the reasons why actually this is a good thing. What is this going to do for you? Yeah, I love that. It's confirmation bias, I think, is the word that we're looking, the phrase that we're looking for before. Confirmation bias. Um, So, yeah. There's so much to just taking a drop for a second and just pausing, taking some deep breaths, or going on a quick walk, like just doing something to get you out of this frantic mindset that could just plague an entire day. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's it's. There are other tech. There, yeah, it's yeah. So you, you talked about. You just mentioned something that triggered me. You're absolutely right. Going for a walk. If we look at the science, there's the sympathetic chain ganglia. It's just basically it runs up from your neck down to your navel, and it's the reason why it's called that is because it's literally a chain of neurons that goes like that, and basically, it's it's designed to instantly get you into kind of high state, high alert mode. Mm-hmm. So one of the, um, I think it was Andrew Huberman. One of his his lab basically is. One of the things you can do is you want to move away from sympathetic to parasympathetic. Don't worry about the names of this, but basically it's moving away from high intensity um, to to relaxation, which is parasympathetic. Here's a quick way. So the breathing technique is to do this. It's breathe for a few, two seconds to go, and then, and then you go, like that. Yeah. And breathe out for longer than you've breathed in. It's one of the quickest ways to move away from sympathetic to parasympathetic. So, you know, there are loads of techniques that are out there and you've got to just use the ones that work for you. But your breathing, as you just said, or going for a walk, breathing is one of the most powerful. So that one that I just gave you is just two seconds. And then, and you literally sigh. Yeah. Uh, and you do that a few times and breathe out for longer than you breathe in. Actually, what you're doing now is you're getting your biology to move into that relaxed state and your brain will follow quite quickly. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It's so it's so simple, but just getting, getting some oxygen to your brain <laughs> is really powerful. It's it, it works almost every time when I'm freaking out. I'm like, okay, dude got to relax a little bit here, man. <laughs> you know, um, let's talk about, cause you've, let's talk about how, let's talk. I, I think first let's talk about the buyers, you know, how do buyers change and how do people's buying behaviors change during a recession? What are some of the things that we need to be aware of? Yeah. So the, there are a few changes that can happen. I mean, the first thing is, you know, you as the salesperson, let's just get out there. You've got to get closer to your customers, whether that's you that's able to do that or your account managers, whoever it is in your business. And it's usually sales because sales have the, the more frequent touch point with the buyer community. You, you've got to make sure that you get as close to your buyers as possible to find out how their buying behaviors will change. So here's some of the common ones. First one is for the first two or three months, it'll be full freak out. It will be. Um, they will clam up anything that's not not critical or anything that has it's, it's in consideration mode will stop, right? You've got to be prepared for that. Um, and usually it's, I only say for the first two or three months, it's because once people calm down and they've kind of assessed their P&L and created a strategy and they have a path forward, then they're able to move on, right? Doesn't mean they'll move on with you 
necessarily, but they will move on, right? So this is just the thought of the buyers. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that um, risk awareness and, and that heightened risk is just really, really high. And it's it's more than just value proposition or ROI. It's about uh, personal value as well as business value. So mm-hmm. the research shows that, you know, 68% of buyers who see personal value as well as business value will sp- will pay a higher price for your solution. 71% of buyers who see personal value as well as business value will buy your solution or more likely to buy your solution. So by personal value, we mean things that align to their human needs, right? Yeah. Things we talked about in certainty, but also align to their values, right? So if this person's value is about learning more in order to advance their career and they see your solution as one of them or you as one of them, then they will defend your your um, solution. And why is that important? Because in the 2008 recession, uh, the CFO became more powerful than the CEO. So le- let me just repeat that so it really sinks in. In the 2008 recession and previous recessions, the CFO became more powerful than the CEO. Well, we noticed this through COVID too. Did you notice that? Absolutely. Through COVID, that the CFO all of a sudden became a big part of the buying processes. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Because they're protecting their P&L. And there is no more powerful person to protect the P&L than the CFO. That's what they're they're there to do. Right? They're not, we're not thinking about vision or strategic mode. No, we're thinking about numbers here. Very focused numbers. Right? So they're the right people for that. So why do I say that is because if even if you're t- talking to a chief level officer like chief human resource officer or chief sales or chief marketing officer, they may have had a discretionary budget or a threshold of say fifty let's call it fifty thousand dollars in a recession that will bring that will come right down to something like twenty thousand if not ten thousand dollars, which means yeah. that the CFO or the financial partner is going to be more involved or they have to go through that process to get it approved and if they do so. The financial person is going to say, okay, do we really need this? Can you just not do without it? And if you have personal value, and I've seen this happen many times, that's when your buyer will say, no, 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 I want this. We need this, right? Um, So they will stand up for you. So personal value is really important. They're going to look for more of that. The more connection to their needs that are personal as opposed to just business needs is important. The other thing is that um, anything that has a benefit or a return of beyond their current fiscal period is just not going to be considered. Yeah. So it, within 12 months or within their current fiscal period, you've got to show some very strong value. I, that's not to say that you forget about the longer term or midterm value, but if you're not really conveying the value in that short-term fiscal current fiscal period – you're going to find it incredibly hard to have to have that solution bought into by the business. So, you know, th- that's that's the other one. The other one is, you know, more people are going to be involved in the decision making process. I mean, we we know that we've experienced that in the past, um, but that's dangerous because of a concept or a phenomenon called groupthink, which is where, yeah. you know, uh, have, are you familiar with the term groupthink? Uh, I am, but. You probably have a better definition of it than I do. No, no, I mean, no, 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 no. It's the, it's the same definition that everyone else will have. It's basically, it's this phenomenon that, you know, when when seeking out um, the 
in the in the in the pursuit of you know harmony, right? And in, in the pursuit of that harmony, what will happen is that when groups come together, they will form an irrational or dysfunctional decision making outcome. So yeah. even when you get a yes from all of the stakeholders separately, a lot of salespeople surprisingly find that you know the deal doesn't go through or something happens, and that's because of this hairy area phenomenon of groupthink. Because even if they all say yes, when they come together, they coalesce around incremental kind of uh, overlaps. Um, so yeah. those are the kind of things to watch out for in a recession, right? Get as close to the buyer as possible because their buying patterns will change. Um, you know, think about the short-term fiscal, uh, you know, be aware of the fact that, um, you know, personal value is going to be incredibly important to them. Um, be aware of the fact the CFO or the financial partner is going to be more involved in the process. Um, and also be prepared that, you know, there's going to be two or three months of total freeze, total lockout, just what we saw in COVID, actually, that happened, right? Yeah. I, I don't know of very many companies or people that didn't experience that kind of lockout in the first two or three months. Um, I definitely did. I don't yeah, know about you. So did I. So did yeah, I. Oh, it yeah. was oh, yeah. on the B2B side, it was like, whew, everything just canceled overnight. All the meetings, pipeline completely dried up. And um, I was looking at our numbers because our business has grown so much since then. Mm. Um, I was looking at the numbers and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe for three, six months there, the, the revenue numbers that we were doing. It's like, dang, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, yeah. And I was working my ass off, dude, seven days a week for about three months straight, trying to figure out what to do, how to adapt. And it was it ended up being a really good thing actually. But okay, so you said get closer to your buyers. One of the things I immediately thought of after that is I should be setting up some sort of recession roundtable with my clients, get five, six VP of sales together and help them talk amongst each other hmm. around best practices and things that they're doing to prepare for this. You know, is that sort of along the lines of things that you would recommend doing? Like how can we get closer to our buyers? Yeah. So um, there are a few things. So what you described is what I call kind of deal clinics, right? Ah, okay. You have, yep. you have both internal deal clinics, so amongst you as the sales community in the business, and external deal clinics, which is amongst the buyers in your community. Um, and the whole purpose of that is to basically understand what's coming around the corner uh, and what ideas can we share and basically gathering wisdom from the group, Right. Um, so in terms of with the buyers, that deal clinic absolutely is one of those areas um, in terms of getting close to the buyer. The other one is making sure, so one is making sure that the right people in your company, what IBM called intellectually curious people, um, they did a study with, of that with H, uh, Harvard Business Review, I believe, a while ago. I think it was 2006. But, um, you know, have those intellectually curious salespeople who have the right qualities and skills and approach to ask several buyers those kinds of questions to understand what's going to change. Have them collate that information and then have a mechanism by which you're sharing those findings and information with everyone else in the business. So that's another way. Yeah. Another one that's so powerful and yet so so infrequently done, which surprises me, it's still surprising me, if you sell to an HR person, if your solution's selling to an HR person, go and speak to your head of HR in your own company to ask them what's going on. Yeah. 
right? And you shouldn't really wait for a recession to do that. You should be speaking to them anyway about how do they make decisions, like what goes on in the HR world, right? But in the but let's we're talking about recession, so let's do that. Go and speak to the equivalent of your buyer in your own company and find out how are they going to change the way that they make decisions? How are they going to redraw priorities in their in their function, right? And decisions they're having to make. Um, figure out how that's going to work out. And, and you're going to become far more informed as to how those buyers are going to start changing their decision-making process. Um, you know, and, and the other thing to look at is getting close to the buyer is um, if they are a public company and you're selling to a public business, um, go through, uh, wait, wait for, uh, but when it does come out, um, you know, go through their quarterly statement and their, their investor call. Um, start to, and, and don't just look at the numbers, although I advocate looking at numbers. It's very important to look at the numbers to see how they're faring, but absolutely go through the pros, the text of what the CEO, CEO and the CFO are saying. Because the, yeah. you know how everyone listens to the Fed and reads the minutes of the Fed and they're trying to figure out what the, the words yeah. that they're using and what they're intimating? It's the same there. There's a lot of value to get from that. Um, so, yeah, those are some examples of, of how you would get close to the buyers. And if you do that, you're pretty much at 90% of what you can gather if you, if you do it well. Um, oh, what are some the, other one actually, the other one actually is to speak to their suppliers. That's a good one. Speak to other suppliers of theirs, so people that are strategic suppliers. So if it's an FMCG company, speak to the people that provide them with raw materials, right? Figure out a way of doing so. If you start to yeah. talk to them, you'll start to, you'll start to build a much bigger picture. Yeah. What are some of the questions that you would ask these buyers? Yeah, it, I know it sounds really trite, but you just, I mean, I used to just ask them and say, look, how are things changing for you in terms of how you make decisions now? How has that process changed now? Mm-hmm. It's just really simple. It doesn't have yeah. to be complex. If you have a good yeah. relationship with the buyer, then you, you've yeah. earned the right to ask that simple question. Just say, look, what process, how is the, how has your buying process changed now internally? So start with the process first rather than their behavior and mindset, just, just so that you kind of softly ease them into it. So ask them about the process change. And then slowly, once you get the answers to that, migrate to how do you feel now about making decisions in these times? What, what is it that you're looking for more than anything else? And how did that change compared to before? And what you're trying to get from them is things like risk, risk nervousness, um, you know, I'm, you know, they might say, I'm looking more at the value proposition. That's one of the big areas as well. The value proposition has to be really tight as well. Um, you know, things like I'm, I'm, what, what I heard from one of my buyers when I spoke to them was, um, you know, I'm more worried about making this decision because I'm going to have to go to the CFO now in, and champion that. So actually, you know, unless the salesperson really helps me with that, and 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 I feel comfortable doing so. I'm not going to do that because, to be a frank, I just don't want to. I don't want to play. I don't want to fight that battle right now. Um, yeah. So that you know, just ask them. It's, it really isn't any more complex than that, Jason. Right? Just ask them the question. Start with process, then slowly make your way through to emotions, feelings, their personal approach, things like that. Yeah. Um, and if you have a good relationship with them, ask them what are they really worried about when it comes to their function, right? Um, you know, are there things that they're worried about? 
in terms of either budget or, or projects that they're working on, or funding of some kind, priorities, etc. You know, how has that changed? And the other one you can ask is, what does your boss now expect of you during the next three months? What is he expecting you to focus your time on and energy on in the next three months? Yeah. So this, for anyone listening, a good action item from this would be to proactively have these conversations before the shit hits the fan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I've, been, I've been talking about this since COVID started. Um, and uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned something. Well, I'm actually just kind of curious around how does the language change when you're prospecting and selling? And where I'm kind of going with this question is, you know, what I experienced a lot during COVID was anything that had the word grow in it, I changed to like secure. I heard people say, we want to secure our pipeline. They didn't say they wanted to grow their pipeline. You know what I mean? There was a little phrasing and wording like that, that I noticed my buyers changed in how they described what they were trying to accomplish. And I kept that, especially on our website for probably six months, you know, six, nine Mm. months. Um, And then I noticed the language started to change when people started to feel more comfortable. But how do you think about language and how you talk to people in an email, in a sales call, that sort of thing? Yeah. Words give meaning to people's lives and words are an expression of thought. Um, So, you know, when you think about, you know, the state of the person, there are usually three or four things and and words words one of them. The other one's physiology. Uh, The other one is what you focus on, right, Uh, in your body, etc. But words are really powerful. Words give meaning. You know, I hate that dog versus, you know, so let let me give you another example. You know, you, you might say, you know, you get some people that say, you know, this, something bad happens. They go, this is an abs- this is a disaster. And yeah. then someone else might say, this is inconvenient. Very different yeah. words, very different meaning, very different emotions that come out of it. So what you did very smartly there, Jason, was you basically observed the language that people are using because the language gave you an idea of their intention and what it is they're trying to act on right? They weren't looking to grow because growth was not the biggest priority for them. They were there to stop the platform from burning. And when you go into anxiety mode and fear mode, what happens is you kind of, your whole body, you know, cortisol levels, adrenaline, all those things, basically they help you just focus in on a target, right? And to the exclusion pretty much of everything else, you're just focusing on that target. And that the, the power of words and observing the words that your buyers use helps you, f- helps you see what it is they're focusing on. And if you can help them with that, then that's where you have power. Sorry, is that, is that something in the background there? Is that my phone? I think that's yours. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. I, I never have it on. I don't, why is it? Why? How how it's got how it's on the audio? I have no idea because I usually have it on silence. But never mind. It was a really um, relaxing ringtone. It was like, <laughs> ding, ding. <laughs> I didn't even select it. Like that's I, I mean I never even have it on loudspeaker. It's always on vibrate. So how, anyway, yeah. Um, uh, so, so yeah. So people focus on that. So what you did very cleverly there, Jason, was basically saying, well, that's what they're focusing on. I'm gonna I'm gonna help them with that, what they're focusing on. So remember what I said earlier about. Um, you know, they're only dealing with the short term, the current fiscal period, 
Well, when it comes to what it is that they're trying to do, they're only dealing with the short term. So right now, all I need to focus on is protecting that pipeline because that's the biggest thing that's going to affect my P&L. That's the biggest thing that's going to affect my goals. I'm not going to yeah. – growth, et cetera, is secondary. It's an, it becomes a nice to have, which is so weird to hear, right? So yeah. in, in, re, in recessions, it's protection. They go into protection mode. That's when that certainty element of the human needs comes out really strongly, right? Um, yeah. You know, that's when, uh, you know, and when you're in that fear-based, you're in protection mode. So everything to do with protection is, is the kind of the thing that's overriding uh, in their system at that time. Um, and when you're interviewing the buyers, that's what you're trying to figure out. You remember, I t- notice I talked about risk uh, quite a lot. That's because that's what they're going through. They're minimizing risk as much as possible. Um, you know, they're, 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 they stop buying things for two or three months because they're protecting the P&L. Notice I didn't say growing the P&L, I said protecting the P&L. Um, so words are incredibly powerful, Jason. Words give meaning. That's how we, it's not how our brain thinks about things, but it's how we translate things, right? It's how we get meaning from certain things. So use the words that your buyers are using um, and, and figure out why they're using that word and what that word means to them. Um, and, and think about where you can add value to those words or the action or the intention by which those words are uh, representing. Yeah. Love it. So if we shift gears a bit here into more of, as a rep, how I can prepare for this mindset, something that we talked about quite a bit. And one thing to note is that you've interviewed tons of different buyers and and people that have a lot of experience selling through multiple recessions. What are some of the commonalities and things that you found in how they think about their mindset during this time? And, and I, yeah, and I appreciate some of this is going to sound, it's going to, it's going to be easier saying than doing, right? So mm-hmm. this is not taking that away from that at all. If we put aside getting, getting yourself in the right state, which we talked about earlier, here's how you need to think about this. There is a ton of research out there. And I'm just going to talk about this from a business perspective. Forget the personal perspective for now, right? Just a business perspective. There's a ton of research that shows that there were companies that failed or, or went bust or, or didn't do well, but there are companies that did. And the companies that did do well, according to the research, uh, which was conducted by CEB, but there were other companies as well that looked at this, but there were really two things that those companies did really well. The senior leaders in those companies, they had a clear strategy. And the second thing was that they, they acted boldly in the pursuit of that strategy. Right? They took bold steps, bold actions. And, and I say company, but actually it's people as well because it's the people that did it, right? You know, uh, you know Procter & Gamble doesn't move, right? It's the people in Procter & Gamble that makes it move, right? So the first thing you need to realize is, as a sales rep, is um, I'm in control of my outcome. I'm in control of how the, the meaning that I take from this. So you can say this recession is a disaster, or you can say that this recession is a learning point for me. It's a pivotal moment for me. So the words you use are really important, which we talked about. And then tell yourself, okay, the research shows very clearly that what I need is a strategy, and I need to not, I don't, I, I shouldn't be fearful about taking bold steps in that strategy. So 
Um, and then the final thing to remember is that recessions are not permanent. They're temporary. So yeah. the question I need to ask myself is, what is my plan? How am I going to conduct that plan and hold myself accountable? And how, I go, how am I going to keep telling myself and help myself remember that this is just not permanent? This is, this is a temporary thing. It may take longer, right? It might be a deeper recession. But what is my plan for how I'm going to win? And there is really no better plan than getting as close as possible to your buyers, right? Because they're the people that are going to be paying the money, right? So, the, so it's not about more sales skills. It's not about a better CRM system. It's not about all the other things that seem to be seller-focused. It's about things that need to be buyer-focused. And the terminology I heard from, from one of the people I interviewed was, he said, you know, recession are your times, uh, times for you to, um, what's the term you used? To win in the turns or to overtake in the turns. So it's a Formula One analogy, right? And it's, it's on those corners, those turns, that's when you determine whether you're first or, or second or third, whatever it might be. That's when you can overtake people. And recessions, you need to think of recessions as those turns. That's when there is a redress of a balance of power, money, transfer of wealth, etc. So the question you've got to ask yourself is, where do I want to be? On which side do I want to be once this comes through? Um, so the things you can do as a salesperson are some of those basic things. The other thing that you can do as a salesperson, which became something that a, a coach reminded me about, which is um, you can wor you work in the business and then on the business. And in recessions, you, you, you need to make sure you're working on yourself. I think it was Jim Rohn that said, you can make money um, in your employment, but you become wealthy when you work on yourself. And yeah. the question you've got to ask yourself is, I'm doing, I'm in, in, the, in, the, in the hours that I'm in the business, I'm making those calls, sending out those emails, et cetera. What am I doing in the two or three hours in the evening? Am I working on myself and building the skills and the knowledge that I need in order for me to be successful? Or am I wasting my time watching TV, playing video games, et cetera? I'm, not, I'm guilty of that as well, right? So I'm not perfect in any way. But the question you've got to ask yourself is, you've got to... Think about, am I spending as, as much time as I can on myself and on my business as well as working in the business, right? So think about what, what you need in order for you to get better and win in that recession period. And what do I need to learn and know? And how do I need to grow as a person? And what do I need to do to work on myself to do that? Yeah. I think one other thing to note, let me know your thoughts on this. I've been really bullish on it, is... Dude, get your finances in line right now. Like if they're not save, like there's so many people, my life completely changed when we had like a 12 month runway of just cash on top of whatever investments or what like an emerge, like a real actual emergency fund where we have the ability to get out of short-term thinking. And there's so many reps that I work with at so many different companies where the more money they make, their lifestyle creeps up to the amount of money they make and they if they got fired they're just screwed like yeah. they would have to take on credit card debt between then and getting their next job and i cannot stress enough and I'm, again i'm curious your thoughts on this come into that recession with a six plus month runway of cash to where you're not screwed if you get laid off 
perhaps because of something outside of your control or things just kind of suck for two or three months, you're not going to be in a point of desperation where you need money right now. You just, you want to avoid being you know, in those situations. But I'm, I'm curious on, on your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I mean, to, totally agree. And I, I love your take on that in that personal level as well. Um, you know, um, ca- when you look at financial statements and you analyze fi- finances, cash is the equivalent to oxygen for a company. It's also the equivalent of oxygen for you, right? You can last a day or two maybe without water. You can last a week or so without food, but you can pretty much last only a minute or two without oxygen. So, um, you know, getting your finances in order is absolutely important. You know, Ray Dalio, I don't know if anyone, any of the viewers and listeners will know who Ray Dalio is. He's one of the most successful uh, financiers in the world. He, he owns uh, Bridgewater Capital, 100 or so or billion of assets that he manages, etc. You know, he, he wrote a book called The Changing World Order, but he always talks about this, which is, you know, countries or empires where they start to spend more than they earn get into trouble. And it's the same for human beings. So absolutely get your... Because you don't want that monkey on your back, right? As you as you just said, you you, you want to, you don't want to come from a place of anxiety because that will that will elicit the wrong type of behaviors. Very hard to be creative and have a strategy when you're in fear mode all the time and worried. It's very hard to do that, um, even with all the tools and techniques in the world. So yeah, I totally totally agree with you, absolutely. And if you don't have enough cash, then treat your personal life as a business. Go through it as a financial statement and ask yourself, what can I cut out for now? Right? You know, you can cut out Netflix. It, it, you can you can come back to it again if you want. It's not a problem, right? But yeah. if you need to do that, do that. Do whatever it takes in order for you to get see yourself through. But make sure that you give yourself that space to think creatively. And if if you're spending more than more than you earn, that's a problem. You should never really do that anyway. But um, yeah. Yeah, I totally, I, I totally, totally agree with you. Yes, and tighten that up now, please, in advance of this happening. <laughs> you and know, it's not six months. It's not six months anymore. It's twelve months ever since COVID, right? Um, yeah, it, it's, yep. it's twelve months. Yeah, so I, I agree. Yep, twelve months cash, and I know that people will say, "Oh, yeah, you know, cash. It's you know, you should be investing in all this other stuff." Not right now. I, that's not what I would be doing with that. Like, make sure you have that runway, but. Um, I digress. <laughs> so one one last thing I wanted to spend some time talking to you about is you said something around helping your buyers see around corners. You sort of alluded to this a, a few times. What are some of the ways that we can help educate our buyers and help them see around some of these quarters and uh, corners and anticipate risk and you know that sort of stuff? You have any examples of what you mean by that and how yeah. we can do that? Yeah, this is a big topic, by the way, and this this takes practice. Um, so the, the first thing is that you as a salesperson, you're sitting on a wealth of really valuable information for your buyer. Uh, And we hear about imposter syndrome that salespeople go through a lot, but actually there really isn't, not there really isn't, but, but it's not as, it's not as big a deal as you think it should be. Um, you as a salesperson will probably speak to as many buyers in Let's, let's be conservative and say one month, right? You will speak to as many, if not more buyers or peers equivalent of your buyers in one month than that buyer will have spoken to their peers in a whole year. And every time I speak to a buyer, when I ask them, 
uh, any of the interviews that I conduct when I ask them, what is your source of information for how you can get better at what you do? Uh, every one of them said their peers. And when I asked them, well, how often do you meet with them? They said very few, very little. Um, yeah. Once, maybe twice in a year. Uh, and even then, it's not as productive as they would like. You know, they have to kind of figure out other ways to meet them. But you sit on a wealth of information, which is in terms of not just best practice, but bad practice for them to avoid. And that information can help help them see around corners. But at the very at the very basic level, it helps them basically get that comfort and confidence that they're doing the right things. But also in terms of seeing around corners, it helps them avoid some of those dangerous things that they that they that others have experienced. So that's the first thing that I really want to share with with your listeners and viewers, because they're already sitting on that wealth of information. And it doesn't have to just come from them. Right? Speak to your other sales peers, speak to your sales manager and sales leader, encourage them to actually facilitate that kind of gathering of information and discussion. Because you, know, you don't have to be in the professional services world to have that kind of best practice or share that best practice. And we're seeing that a lot with content marketing now anyway. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, which is a bit harder, is um, your job is trying to understand the impact of activities or, 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 or things that they're missing out. Um, let me give you an example. Think of an example here. So one of my clients is involved in working with the FMCG business. And um, in the FMCG world, you know, there was this whole area of high inflation, right? When you're buying goods, when you're buying goods from, you know, grocery stores, etc. Uh, in this area of CPI, which is cost price increase. And FMCG companies have had to go through, you know, three or four rounds of cost price increases. They've had to do that more than in one year or in the space of a few months than they've had to do in four or five years, right? It, it was just yeah. a completely unusual time for them. McKinsey came out with a study and they weren't the only ones, by the way, but I'll just cite them. McKinsey came out with a study where they said for every dollar that you implement a cost price increase, you're losing 60, 60 cents or 66 cents in inefficiencies or in, in, in profitability in other ways, mostly in um, pr uh, promotional management, right? That is a good example of an unintended consequence or, or seeing around corners because most of these companies wouldn't, wouldn't have even thought that for every dollar they're increasing a price, there is some sort of leakage or damage that's happening on, one of, on their trade promotions. And trade promotions tends to be the second or third largest line item in, a, in an FMCG company's P&L, right? And it yeah. can run into billions. So you're helping them see things that they weren't aware of. And one of, one of the exercises I would encourage is called, and you can Google this, it's called the Lotus Blossom exercise. It's a marketing tool. It's not just a marketing tool, but it's an ideation tool. And what it basically happens is if you think about a lotus flower, you've got the core thing that you help them with. And what you're looking at is just like the petals, you're looking at all the things that, this, that are peripheral impacts on that core thing, right? So say cost price increase, right? That can impact our trade promotions. That can impact our relationship with buyers. That can impact our long-term relationship because they're going to come back to us and push back on us, for example. So what you're trying to see is what are the medium to long-term implications of actions that they're taking right now? 
And do they see those medium and long-term actions? And then your job is to help bring those actions forward so that they can feel. So, you know, it's a fire that's, you know, 10 yards away. You're trying to bring that fire closer so they feel the heat and feel the burn from now. So helping them see around corners, and there are loads of other examples you can use, but that's what I mean by helping them see around corners. It's helping them see things that they didn't see or helping them see a consequence that they didn't really appreciate the magnitude of. So they might say, well, you know, if we if we protect our pipeline, you know, just by ma- protecting our pipeline, for example, we will make sure that we're seeing a growth rate of 5%. But you might come in and say, actually, from research and from analysis, and I've done some analysis about your pipeline, actually, you think you're going to you're going to grow 5%. But actually, by just maintaining your pipeline, you're actually going to decline by 10%. Yeah. Would you like to hear how, why that might happen, but also some ways around that, right? And they probably didn't see that it would be 10%. They just saw the 5%. Does that, does that make sense? There's a lot of information there and it's, it's, I'm trying to distill it down, but does that make sense, Jason? No, it makes a lot of sense. And I'm just imagining also a sales call that you're doing. Think about how that positions you as really such a trusted advisor and expert when you're talking about stuff like this. You know, but the really key part of this, it sounds like, is having those deal clinics and the conversations with your existing customers. That's that's my most immediate action item from this is I need to get a roundtable type of conversation together with my with my clients and have them start helping each other and and have me kind of learn from these folks about what they're thinking about, too. That's Um, a really good point. Now's the time to do it. Yeah, really good point. I, I remember, I remember Chief Revenue Officer you used to work with um, in Data Monitor. Uh, he, he said he said that salespeople, you're not delivering the product, but you're a facilitator of value. So start to yeah. think about how you can facilitate value, not not give value, because you're not the one that's giving that value in that form all the time. It's it's the product, etc., that's doing that. But you're facilitating that value. And what you just described there, Jason, is exactly that. That's what I'm doing right now. I, I'm getting some of my buyers together to talk to each other, to share ideas and best practices. I came from that world anyway through CB and Gartner, so it's natural for me. But yeah. you being able to do that, all of a sudden you're being seen as that facilitator value, someone that's that's created that that potential meeting, et cetera. And make sure to do yeah. it internally. So, so for salespeople listening to this, do that internally as well. Now is the time when you need to seek wisdom from the group. So come together once a month where you share a deal that you're working on, whether it's stalling a deal or a deal where you're you're kind of it's a high stakes deal that you're working on so that you can get ideas from the rest of the group as well, because they would have probably gone through something similar or they might know someone at that company or they have insights, you know, whatever it might be. But that facilitation um, of value is incredibly important. Yeah. Dude, another episode in the books flew by. I, uh, I won't ask you the same rapid fire questions as we did last time, but I am curious. Um, Knowing what you know now, if you could redo how you handled COVID or the recession, you know, prior to that, is there anything you got from going through those two things that you're going to take into this next recession? Yeah. Yes. Uh, so one of the things that, uh, yeah, and it's a continuous thing for me is I'm going to spend more time looking into the future. It's a hard thing to do. For me, it is anyway. Maybe it's not for others, but I'm going to spend more time looking into the future 
So really thinking about what, what will the next few months look like and getting really clear on what my actions will be, getting really clear on having a plan, right? Last time I did that, but I don't feel that I did that for long enough because I was yeah. just dealing with the business. Um, I didn't do it, say, early enough, but you couldn't have with COVID. Never, it was a total black swan, wouldn't have noticed that. Um, and the other thing I would have done is I would have created a system or protocol in place, and I'm working on that, a system or protocol in place that will help me get through it a lot faster. So rather than have to do it all over again and being completely cerebral about it, uh, you know, systems trump people, right? So if you have a system yeah. in place, then you'll be able to react a lot faster. So that that's probably the main thing that I would, uh, I would, not that I would do differently, I'll just do more. Yeah. One last question. If you had to make your best educated guess on when the shit is going to hit the fan for people, when do you think that's going to happen? Well, the inversion, inversion yield, sorry, the, the, the yield curve inverted, like inverted already, and then it went back up again. You know, um, I think, I think we are pretty much going to be in it by next quarter. I'm not an expert yeah. here, but I think we're going to be pretty much in it by next quarter. If you look at the um, the kind of corporate results that are coming out, they've all been indicators of that. Uh, we're seeing, for example, where um, uh, you know, con- in the UK at least, uh, construction there are more delinquencies in construction right now, construction and in uh, consumer uh, businesses like. Uh, pubs, et cetera. So there, mm-hmm. there, are, there are a lot more kind of administrations happening there. And that's usually a sign of, of, of a recession because now it's hitting the consumer. Um, what I'm looking at are, you know, debt versus income levels. And they're pretty, they're pretty high right now. Um, but people have still saved a lot of money. So I, I, I think in the next quarter or two, in my view, um, and I, you know, and that takes us into winter and that's where we see the energy energy pinch happening a bit more um again i'm, I'm look, caveat hashtag not financial advice not predi- not financial prediction but uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but I, I i i'm working on the assumption that that will happen then yeah got it well dude this has been great happening i dude I, I have no clue i'm gonna prepare for it like it's gonna happen because that's what everyone's you know sort of saying and where the numbers seem to be going but i'm I'm way less educated than you are on this. You know what I mean? So um, this has been great though. Uh, where do people go to connect with you? What do you got going on? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, LinkedIn, uh, there's, there's more content than I'm putting out there. So forward slash Murray Damon, YouTube under proverbial door. Um, so videos on various things, including how to read financial statements, which we do a ton of, by the way. And, and if you're interested in selling to a company, you can actually tell us and we'll, we'll analyze the business for you. Um, and then uh, podcast, which is uh, Persu- Persuasion Lab. Um, and then you can contact me, right? So inquiries at proverbialdoor.com. You know, we respond to everything that comes through. Um, so um, yeah, those are the kind of main ways that you can, you can uh, reach out to me and learn more about what I do. 